This is Leonard Fournette, and you listen to Roster Watch. Cheers, Roster Watch Nation. Welcome back. Welcome back. It is Monday, October 16th, Monday of week seven. We have six bye weeks this week, a big, 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 big week for fantasy football, for buys, for injuries. We have a couple of big matchups we got to talk about coming into week number seven that are pivotal for the landscape of the NFL this year. I am Cody Carpenter. You can find me on Twitter at Carpenter NFL. And today we're going to be going through the top 10 thoughts from week six and going in to week number seven first and foremost i want you to please click that like button click subscribe if you can please if you are hanging out here in the chat today if you have any questions at all whatsoever drop them i'll answer them if i don't which i will go to rosterwatch.com today go down to the comment section drop a comment we'll get that comment answered whether it's waivers a trade um start sit you name it we're there we're square tomorrow waiver wired with uh, Alex and Trashman will be live on Tuesday at about 2.30 Eastern time, I believe it is. Wednesday, we'll get the trade cast on YouTube and on podcast. And then the Bet the Algo will also be up this weekend as well. And then Sunday, meet me here, same place, 11 a.m. Eastern time for the Start Sit Show, watching rosters. We can help you start and sit your lineups. Let's get into the show. Let's talk about the 10 thoughts that need to be discussed coming out of week six and going into week seven. First and foremost, number 10, Tyja Spears needs more touches. Tyja Spears needs more touches. Should we say it again? Should we say it twice? Should we say it three more times? Tyja Spears needs more touches. Again, he has been taking away more from Derrick Henry than any other running back outside of DeMarco Murray during Derrick Henry's tenure. This week's snap share has dropped again for Derrick Henry, 60% to 59% to 57%. Tyser Spears has been sitting right at that 56, 53, 53, 52 each of the last four weeks. Tyser Spears looks fantastic. He's getting limited opportunities in games, but when he does get those opportunities, he does make the most of them in some of the best situations. He has the most burst and the most explosion out of any player on this football team. Each of the last two weeks, they've lost 23 to 16, 24 to 16 against the Colts, and now against the Ravens this past week. Spears had one target this week, one singular target, and he went for 48 yards in the fourth quarter. And it was a little bit of electricity that made the team feel like, hey, maybe there's a chance. And that's when they ended up kicking the Nick Folk field goal because they could not finish the drive with Malik Willis at quarterback. Rushing the football, Taija had four carries for 15 yards. Yes. Derrick Henry did have 97 yards on the ground, 63 of which came on one carry. But Taija, the electricity that he brings to the table is much more out of a Josh Wiley, much more than a Chris Moore, much more than a Kyle Phillips, a Chigo Conquo, or even a Nick Westbrook-Kine right now. They need to be scheming Taija Spears more touches if Tennessee wants to win football games. That's just point blank, period. We've been talking about Taija since the senior bowl, and it's only going to continue as Tennessee goes, Tennessee now drops two, two and four on the year, two and four on the year, two and three in conference, zero and one in the division, 
and they're at the basement, the cellar of the AFC South right now with Jacksonville at four and two, Indian Houston at three and three, and Tennessee is sitting there at two and four. Gavin, I see in the chat. I'll answer that question here in a minute when we talk about Adam Thielen because that's coming very, very soon. But number nine overall is going to be the San Francisco 49ers. The San Francisco 49ers lost this weekend to the Cleveland Browns 19 to 17. And when you watch this game back, I was talking to Maddie Keewum about it yesterday on the executives uh, patron show at patreon.com forward slash executives. And he's like, damn, this field, this felt like this was really a Debo game. And then I went back and watched it. I was like, yeah, when Debo left, like the shock and the awe, like the feel of the offense just was like evaporated. And yeah, you ended up with 10 targets in this game, but McCaffrey going down, Debo going down. It really felt like this game was schemed a certain direction. And once that those players were taken out of the game, Kyle Shanahan's adjustments did not work or that whatever. If he did make adjustments, it didn't seem like he was making very many adjustments on the fly. Again, Cleveland's a good defense. They've played strong all season on defense. They're able to get after the passer and just play a competent football. P.J. Walker did a lot more than I thought he did. He did throw two picks, but they, they still won the football game. They did the things right to get the job done. And I have to say, over the past couple of weeks, I've talked about the San Francisco 49ers being a team that was viewed or should have been viewed, in my opinion. I said, coming down the stretch, I think you're going to start seeing the comps from the San Francisco 49ers to the legendary teams that we've seen of the years past. The New England Patriots of 07, the 85 Bears, the 01 Ravens, things of that nature with this Niners team. Again, you're talking about the first five weeks. They, again, they didn't beat great teams, but they beat the Steelers 30-7. to Rams, 30-23. Giants, 30-12. Arizona Cardinals, 35-16. Cowboys, 42-10. They scored more points as the season went on. Their defense has played great all season long. And then they dropped this game 17-19 in Cleveland, a tough one. But when I go back and I was like looking back at this yesterday, all right, show me the Patriots. Did the Patriots have any near slips? Well, 38-14, 38-14, 38-7, 34-13, 34-17. I look at this Cowboy game, says 48-27. And nope, that one wasn't close either. And then you go to, I believe it is the Dolphins game, 49-28. You all remember that one. That was 42-7. Uh, the Patriots up in the second quarter. So that one's not it. All right, so then we're going to continue to dig here. Was there any games that they nearly slipped up on the Patriots, that is? Yeah, I'm not finding one, not seeing one. They just didn't slip. Obviously, they went undefeated on the season. That's the, that's the mere point. They had the Colts game, 24-20 on November 4th. That was the memorable game against Peyton Manning. And then you have the Eagles, November 25th, 31-28, to where they had A.J. Feely at quarterback. Three touchdowns, three picks for A.J. Feely. 345 passing yards that day to Greg Lewis, Lee Smith, Ronnie Brown, Brian Westbrook, Hank Baskett, Jason Avant. That was a game where you could merely tie, and you can't because these teams are not the same. The Browns have a better defense than the Eagles did back in 2007. But you can tie the line of being, it's a backup quarterback, A.J. Feely, a career backup quarterback with a team that's not as competent as the one that's playing against, a, a, a cerebral assassin in the New England Patriots. The Eagles were up in this football game, 28-24, for the majority of the fourth quarter. With a minute left in the third quarter, they scored that touchdown to take the lead with Ronnie Brown. But New England found a way to win the game. And that's the difference between all-time teams and really good teams, right? New England's an all-time team. They obviously had Brady, they had Moss, they had Maroney, they had all these guys that could get the job done. 
and they and then the Niners lost Debo and Christian McCaffrey this weekend. So it, obviously, you can tie that line of like, oh yeah, injuries. But winners win, losers lose. They found a way to win in the end, and I think that's where I'm 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 retracting my statement before of saying I think the Niners are on that same scale. The Niners win that football game if they're on that same scale. So the Niners are very, very, and that's taking nothing away from the Niners. They're a very, very, very good football team. But that's my that's my thought was I thought that they were on the cusp of being there, and they're just not quite, not quite there. Number eight, Jacksonville has grown a lot over the last three weeks. The pass rush, um, they they found their pass rush this past week uh, against the Jesus. Now I got a brain fart. Um, Indianapolis Colts against the against the Indianapolis Colts in the AFC South Championship. What I tabbed it last week, Week Six, AFC South Championship sounds the dumbest thing of all time. But this is the second time they've played the Colts. They've beaten the Colts twice now. They did lose to the Houston Texans, so people could say, "Whoa, if Houston beats them in Week 12, There's still a conversation there. Houston doesn't feel like they're on the same level. Houston feels like they're still a year away. I love C.J. Stroud, but the schedule is what the schedule is. Jacksonville plays New Orleans this week. Pittsburgh in week eight. I'll be at that New Orleans Saints game on Thursday night football. So we'll get to see these guys in flesh in person. But it feels like Jacksonville's really taken a step forward. They go over to England and they win back to back games against Atlanta, against the Bills. They look competent on the offensive side of the football. They found Travis Etienne. They found Kelvin Ridley while they were over there. Maybe they bonded a little bit and then they flew home and they took on the Indianapolis Colts and they walked them 37 to 20. I like what Jacksonville's starting to bring to the table. And I talked about the defensive side of the football. You get a sack out of Josh Allen. You get a half out of Trayvon. You get a sack out of Caleb Von Chase on. You get a sack out of Roy Robertson Harris. The defense is starting to starting to just turn the knobs up a little bit. And that's what you just just a little bit. If this defense can match the output that the offense is giving you what on what seems like a near week to week basis, this Jacksonville team is going to jump right back into the conversation that we had before the season started with where Jacksonville should have been, right? But they just haven't been there the last couple of weeks. So uh, it seems like they're coming around three-game win streak here. Of course, you love to see that. Now, number seven, Adam Thielen every week. Adam Thielen every week, right? A lot of people were just completely out on Adam Thielen when the season began. And that was because, well, he's an old man. He's, you know, he can't do it again and again and again. And well, I'll tell you what, week one, he was wide receiver 87 against Atlanta. Week two, wide receiver 16. Week three, wide receiver three. Week four, wide receiver 20. Week five, wide receiver four. Week six, he was wide receiver two. So that means he's been a top five wide receiver in fantasy football three of the last four weeks. Now, one week he wasn't, was he was wide receiver 20 against his former team in the Minnesota Vikings. You want to look at what Thielen is doing. He's commanding this offense as a whole. He's being the guy that just that's the it's their alpha receiver, right? You hear, oh, Carolina wants to trade for an alpha. It's like they aren't, right? Thielen's their alpha right now. Thielen's the one that's out there getting the targets. What has Thielen done so far this season? You ask. 84.8 yards per game currently. Exactly one yard less than his career best, which was back in 2018 with the Minnesota Vikings, the year that he had 1,373 receiving yards and 153 targets. That year, he had 7.1 receptions per game. This year, he's averaging 8.2 receptions per game. That year, he averaged 8.7 targets. This year, 8.6 targets. So he's catching a full football more than he was a year, like five years ago when he did that in 2018. But he's getting the same amount of targets thrown to him. The efficiency's been there with Adam Thielen throughout. His catch rate, 
is the best of his career by a landslide. The second best was 73% in that last season. He's coming into, I want to say he's coming into his own because he came into his own as a Viking when he was playing with Diggs. But the Minnesota let him walk. He had a chip on his shoulder this past year. And now he's in Carolina and he's doing the thing. He's 33 years old. And we'll say, oh, well, past the AJ picks, all this stuff. Well, Thielen is a guy that we knew. And that's why it shocked me when so many people got off of Thielen because the value was in what it was. This guy didn't do anything until 2016, his age 26 season. I remember vividly in 2015, I believe it was December 7th, 2015, maybe December 4, December 7th, 2014, one of the two years was the first year that I saw Thielen do something as a Viking fan. I was there in flesh, in person at U.S. Bank Stadium, not U.S. Bank, TCF Bank Stadium, the Gopher Stadium, when he blocked the punt against the Panthers, and it was run back for a touchdown. That's when everyone saw Thielen the first time. And then he did the fake punt against the Packers in the in the week 18, I think it was a week 17, the NFC North Championship. Then he started to get the receiving work. The receiving work didn't really come until 2016, age 26. He's age 33 right now. So technically, if you're counting it that way, that's it. One, year one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This is year number eight. So technically, year number eight, that's if you're talking about a normal wide receiver, that's age 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, age 28 season. So he's right there. He's right at the AJ picks. He's right at the peak. And that's where Thielen sits right now, having his career year. You want to look look back at Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald and Chris Carter are two guys that I've tied Thielen to, not because just because they're Minnesota boys, right? Fitzgerald was the ball boy for the Vikings back in the 90s with Carter and Moss. He was the ball boy during that era. Chris Carter played back in that era in Minnesota. But it's because Chris Carter and Fitzgerald had this off-season workout regimen where they did it in Minnesota. Even though Fitzgerald played for Arizona, he worked out in Minnesota and oh, by the way, Adam Thielen started up a workout facility in Minnesota and follows the same training regimens and training cycles that these guys did back in the day where they're training throughout the season doing whatever they're doing. Larry Fitzgerald, age 33, led the NFL in receptions. Second straight 1,000-yard season, age 34, was his third consecutive 1,000-yard season. He had six touchdowns that year. He averaged 63 yards per game, 72 yards per game at age 34 was Larry Fitzgerald. You want to talk about Chris Carter, age 33. This was his two, three, four, five, sixth consecutive 1,000-yard season, 12 touchdowns, averaged 63 yards per game, 62% catch rate, eight targets per game. You see the line we're tying here? These are, these are Hall of Famers. Chris Carter, age 33, doing this. Catching the football at a 10% less rate. Same targets. Going to end up with 300 less yards. Thielen's on pace for north of 1,300 right now. Jerry Rice, right? Somebody's goat. Everybody's got him as a goat. I'll take Randy, but hey, no bias. Age 33. Led the NFL in receiving yards, 1,848. An anomaly, Jerry Rice, averaged 115 yards per game. His best season of his career came at age 33. But people faded Adam Thielen because he's 33. In an offense where there was clearly no alpha, there was just flankers and stretch guys and young rookies and Jonathan Mingo 
and an unproven anything in Terrace Marshall and a Shy Smith was there at the time at the time looking like he was like the you know he just got vaulted into that situation got cut. Jonathan Mingo, the rookie second round pick. Hayden Hurst got the conversations. Adam Thielen's gonna be the guy now in 2023 at age 33 in his eighth full season playing wide receiver, age 33. He's on pace for over 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns. Adam Thielen, an absolute machine. Number six, there's a famous song. It says you got to know when to hold them and you got to know when to fold them. Last week, well, the last three weeks, I've talked about guys like Imari DiMercato um, on Undercovered Ops. And DiMercato was a guy that you could get for free three weeks ago when we were talking about him. And then last week, people wanted to spend a bunch of fab on him. But then Keontae Ingram news came out that he was getting healthy. And then Tony Jones was signed to the Cardinals. And then the Rondell Moore stuff came out that it was like, well, Rondell's going to have something to say about this backfield because he has had something to say about it all year. It's just that James Conner's been there. And then Saturday, Damian Williams is activated to the active roster. And that's when I folded. I folded the hands. I said, I got my free Mercado, and I'm going to fold him back to the middle of the table. I'm good. I faded Arizona completely. And you saw exactly what happened in this Arizona backfield. It was putrid. Nothing paid off. Nobody gave you value. Ingram had 10 carries for 40 yards. Damian Williams, 8 for 36. DeMarcado, 2 for 11. Rondell Moore, 3 for negative 4. And Dobbs, the quarterback, rushes for 47 yards on 7 carries. Leads the backfield in yardage. Ingram, two receptions on two targets for 11 yards. Damian Williams, one target, one reception. DiMercato, one target, one reception. Fold. We folded on him on Saturday. He tapped it on Sunday. I believe I probably said something about it, but we didn't play DiMercato. It was a complete fade out after the numerous things that came out. Tonight, Joshua Kelly. You knew when to fold on Arizona, but you got to know when to hold on Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly's playing tonight against the Dallas Cowboys. Austin Eckler's back, and everyone's saying, well, I got my hands off. I already cut him. I don't want any part of him. Joshua Kelly's available in 30% of leagues on sleepers, probably 35% now, but it was 30% last week. Joshua Kelly's standalone value. It's the same thing you talk about when you talked about the efficiency that Chuba Hubbard brought to the table whilst playing with Miles Sanders, being a consummate number two. Now, Chuba did get vaulted into that situation this past week against a not-great Miami defense, and he paid off in fantasy football. Jalen Warren, though, standalone value while playing next to Najee Harris. Joshua Kelly, standalone value while playing next to Austin Eckler. Not a value when playing by himself because he can't take on the full workload. That's been apparent. That's clearly apparent. Raheem Mostert with another guy makes it work by himself makes it work it's different tony pollard with another guy zeke makes it work by himself he's making it work joshua kelly needs to be owned if you dropped him go pick him up if you still can before i don't know if what your rules of your league type are but if you can add a guy on monday night before the game happens because he hasn't played yet you need to go do that but you gotta know when to fold him that's Mercado in this whole Arizona backfield on Saturday this past week. 
knowing to hold them on Josh Kelly, and then going into next week, getting ahead of it, the San Francisco backfield, Tyrion Davis-Price, just lost my brain completely. Um, holy cow. Tyrion Davis-Price, Elijah Mitchell, and Jordan Mason. Holy cow, that took me like three minutes to find that. Sorry. I don't want any of these guys. One, because they're going to be the hot commodity because it's Christian McCaffrey's gone. Two, strictly because you don't know which one's which. You don't know which one's going to get the bulk of the carries. We heard rumblings through training camp that Tyrion Davis-Price looked the best. Of course, we know what Elijah Mitchell brings to the table, but he's not. He's never healthy. He's never stayed healthy. Jordan Mason's just the, the healthy guy that's in the lineup. Now, in DFS, you can play the game. Week in, week out, you can pick whichever one you want. But in lineup leagues where you're starting a lineup and you have to put a guy in the start, put a guy on the bench, I don't want that. Because what we learned, what we've learned, come to know of Kyle Shanahan, is every game is built specific for that game, for that week, kind of similar to a Bill Belichick. And there could be games where these running backs are all three used. It's similar to the Arizona thing last week. Ingram, Williams, DiMercato were all used. Because Elijah Mitchell can't stay healthy. Well, they still want to get him the ball. Jordan Mason's the big guy. The, he, he might get the bulk. He might get the 12 carries. But what that's, what's that going to be? It's going to be 12 carries for 48 yards? Does he get the touchdown? Or is that a trick play to George Kittle? Uh, you know, a quarterback sneak by Brock Purdy or what? whatever. Whatever it is, that's what I'm folding. I'm folding on the San Francisco backfield behind Christian McCaffrey. But I'm not folding on the Miami Dolphins backfield. That's number five. The Dolphins' backfield this year has been an absolute wagon, right? Devon Achan goes out. Raheem Mostert just keeps on trucking. Week one, Mostert, RB18. Week two, Raheem Mostert, RB5. Week three, Mostert, RB2. Achan, RB1. Week four, A-Chain, RB5. Sorry, yeah, RB5. Week five, A-Chain, RB4. Week six, Raheem Mostert, RB1. Ahmed this week, RB17. Chris Brooks got in there and got some work. Got hurt, unfortunately. But it's a wagon. You can trust it every single week. You can trust what the Miami Dolphins are doing with their backfield. Not, not only... Are they lethal with Tyreek Hill? I tweeted out a hell of a Tyreek Hill stat this morning. Shout out to Bleach Report for utilizing it on Instagram and giving no tags and no credit. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Tyreek Hill's averaging 135.7 yards per game, 19.4 yards per reception, which is bonkers. Almost 20 yards per reception. During Kelvin Johnson's Big season, 1,964 yards. He averaged 122 yards per game and 16.1 per reception. That's 13 less yards per game. Cooper Cup's big season two years ago, 1,947 yards. He averaged 114.5 per game. That's 21 less yards per game for Cooper Cup. Terry Kill's currently on pace for 2,306 receiving yards. Bonkers. Jalen Waddle came back this week, and Jalen Waddle looked good. Jalen Waddle added to what Tyreek Hill was already doing. Waddle ends up with nine targets. He had 10 last week, nine this week. 
Hill, nine last week, eight this week. So Waddles are targeting him, but Tyreek is just doing Tyreek things. He's on a mission. And what does that allow? That allows teams, that allows offensive, the offense of Miami to run the football more because they're so scared of getting beat over the top by Tyreek Hill because it's such a game changer. And now Jalen Waddle's healthy. It's only going to further enhance their ability to run the football with Mostert, Ahmed, if Brooks comes back, whenever A-Chain's back, continue to run the football. They got New England this week. It's a tough matchup, but then it's New England. It's the Chiefs. It's a bye. After the bye, it's going to continue to be a landslide. Raiders, Jets, Commanders, Titans. Again, those are strong run defenses, but like I'm saying, they still have to worry about the Tyreek Hill waddle factor in the back end, so it's still going to allow less men in the box. Cowboys, Ravens. Tough schedule on the stretch, but I'm still trusting the Miami Dolphins as they go. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. This week, continuing off of the Miami Dolphins conversation, two sick games that I'm looking forward to watching. You can couple in this Miami Dolphins Philadelphia Raiders Philadelphia Eagles game because it's a Sunday nighter. But it's actually not the game that I'm most excited to watch. The game I'm most excited to watch is the Ravens and the Lions game. This is a 1 p.m. kick. The Ravens are coming back from overseas where they played the Tennessee Titans and and won 24 to 16. They're also coming off of a 17-10 loss to Pittsburgh where they had 10 drops in that football game. A game you could argue they could have won. They also lost to the Colts by three just a couple weeks ago. This is a very good football team that Baltimore has, and they're going to get their toughest test yet because so far they've played Houston before CJ Stroud really hit that hit that level. Cincinnati before Burrow was healthy, the Colts, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and now Tennessee. They get Detroit this week. Detroit is red hot. Baltimore's four and two. The Lions are five and one. That only loss came in week two against Seattle. Since then, they've beaten Atlanta 20 to 6, Packers by 14, Panthers by 18, and then the Buccaneers this past week by 14. I thought that Buccaneers game was going to be a lot closer than it was, and they made them look silly. Now Detroit travels to Baltimore for one of the I think it's the biggest game of the week. I know Miami and Dolphins are there, Miami and Philadelphia Eagles are there, but I think this Ravens Eagles game is the I cannot put these teams together. This Ravens Lions game is the biggest game of the week. I think this is a great defensive line that the Ravens bring to the table. And, of course, we already know what the Lions have on the offensive side of the football. But there's going to be no Montgomery. We'll wait and see what happens with Gibbs or if it's Reynolds. They bring up Divino Zigbo from the practice squad, what it's going to look like. I think if this isn't like the best depiction for a game where Leonard Fournette's just going to sit back, he's going to be in the gym, doing power cleans, whatever he did. He put he used to like power cleans on his Instagram and stuff. He's going to be doing power cleans, eating a steak, hopefully, running. And he's going to be watching this Lions and Ravens game, and he's going to go, you know what? Whoever wins this game, they're going to get me. Why not? And then that's what he's going to do. The Lions have a bye in week nine. The Ravens don't have until week 13. I'm going to ride with the Lions here. Lions beat the Ravens without Montgomery. 
They don't give Gibbs the big, big workload. We see Reynolds, and we see a little bit of a Davino Zigbo, and then they sign Leonard Fournette going into that Raiders game following week. But this is going to be a sick game. This is a big playoff contending type of a game. I talked about it a minute ago with Jacksonville looking good. Detroit, 5-1 and one right now. If they can pull this game out of Baltimore, then they got the Raiders next Monday night. You're talking about 7-1 and one Detroit Lions going into the bye. Coming out, they have the Chargers, the Bears, and the Packers. We'll see what the Chargers look like by then. That'll be another great game, hopefully. Then the Bears at home and the Packers at home. There is a world where the Lions win those ne- those five games and the Lions clinch. Again, listen to this. The Lions could clinch the NFC North at 10-1 and one or 9-2 and two because the NFC North is putrid right now. 10-1 and one or 9-2, and two, Detroit Lions clinch the NFC North on Thanksgiving at home against the Packers. What is more poetic than that sentence right there? The Lions clinching the NFC North on Thanksgiving at home against the Packers. I love that. And for that, I have the Ravens and Lions as my favorite game of week number four. Number three, the dudes are all back at running back. Over the last few weeks, we've gotten Brees Hall back to 100%. Jumped up one mile per hour in his long speed, 22 and a half miles per hour last week against Denver. Massive breakout. Taylor came back last week, but the utilization was very, 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 very underwhelming. Not something we expected or wanted to see was uh, Jonathan Taylor first game back getting outtouched, outplayed by Zach Moss. But Zach Moss has been good. He's number two in rushing yards right now with all of the NFL. But Taylor pushed into that workload this week. Last week it was 49 to 10 in favor of Moss. This week, 37-32. So it's coming. It's coming. Maybe it's coming slowly, but it's coming. And they're going to learn faster than they are sooner. Faster than they are sooner. Faster than they are later. That they need to be playing some Jonathan Taylor. It's another tough matchup this week. We just talked about this with the Niners. Now the Colts get the Browns. And then they get the Saints. And then they get that juicy matchup against the Panthers. And then the Patriots. So it's going to get easier than it is hard. This is probably one of the, this will probably be the last week you're probably going to have Taylor lower on the rankings and a guy where you're going to be starting some weird dudes over him. It's the Browns. It's a tough matchup. And I still think it'll be somewhat of a 50 50, 55 45 split with Moss in the backfield. And then I think Saints on down, you're going to start seeing Taylor's get, get his feet underneath him, get his ankle underneath him, and feel a lot better. But not to be overshadowed, finally, Saquon Barkley came back this week. The Giants lose their fourth straight game. San Fran, Seattle, Miami, Buffalo, we knew it was a gauntlet. They almost pulled this one out on Sunday Night Football. It came down to one of the dirtiest throws I've seen in a while from Josh Allen to Quentin Morris. But Saquon Barkley took 24 carries on the night. He had five targets, so he had 29 opportunities. He is this offense. 93 rushing yards, only five receiving yards on four receptions. So he almost crested 100 total yards. But Barkley's back. Brees Hall's 100%. Eckler's coming back tonight, Monday Night Football, against the Dallas Cowboys. Jonathan Taylor, he's back, and the utilization's pumping, pumping, pumping. We're still a little bit away from being 100%, but the boys are back. We got a couple injuries, of course, with McCaffrey and Montgomery, and Gibbs is 100%. Bijan's utilization is getting pumped back a little bit, but the 
The big dogs, you run one year what the dynasty rankings look like. It was Barkley, Hall, and Taylor near the top. And they're all back. So just as we lose some people, we do get some dudes back. So we have to be appreciative of that and understand that these guys are still in the peak of their game right now. Barkley looks fantastic. This offensive line sucks, and he still gets the work in behind him. Brees Hall, when he's leaned on, they needed to continue leaning on him. They got a big win against Philadelphia this week. Continue to lean on him. And then John Taylor, of course, behind that offensive line. A non-NFL takeaway, a non-NFL thought this week comes from two of the most conversed players in all of college football, Caleb Williams and Drake May. Two greats, two greats, the quarterback position. Caleb Williams has been comped and, and, and tied to Patrick Mahomes. I see a little more Kyler Murray than I do Patrick Mahomes, but that, that's here nor there. I think it's Kyler Murray with some um, off-script, off-scheduled ability, upside ability. That's what Caleb really brings. People have called him the best prospect of the last decade. So many people have called him this over the last couple of weeks. Couple of weeks, couple of months, and it's due. Like he's super talented, uber talented. His abilities in the pocket, out of the pocket, off script, on script, off of one foot, jumping in the air. We saw the throws against Colorado. Like he can do it all. Forty-two touchdowns, five picks last year. But then he had a stinker of a game against Notre Dame. Threw three interceptions. Against Notre Dame. One touchdown, 62% completion percentage after throwing for 56 completion percentage against Arizona. And what was an overtime win against Arizona. Now, again, we're talking about a team that was blowing out Colorado one by seven, went three overtimes with Arizona, and then got dusted by Notre Dame. And I understand. I'm not going to dig too deep into this. I did. We dug into this on the executive show, patreon.com forward slash executives. We dunk up, we dove into this for 20 minutes. Me and Maddie Kewum did. And this is where the conversation kind of begins, but it's not yet ready to be had because it hasn't completely unfolded yet. We've seen the close games, right? They beat Colorado by seven, beat Arizona in triple overtime, lose to Notre Dame big. Everybody knows their defense is incompetent. That's the problem. But Caleb Williams should, you know, if he's the super talent, the super outside-of-the-box player, and again, I'm, I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not saying he's overrated. I'm not saying he sucks. I'm not saying any of those things. Special talent. I don't think he's Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes was not Patrick Mahomes as a prospect. I don't think he's the, the prospect that they want to comp him to. Um, I don't think he's the prospect of, of Trevor Lawrence or of or of Andrew Luck. I just don't think he is as far as being a, a, a consummate professional quarterback. Yes, he has the super talents to do the things that are off script and, and, and whatnot. I think he's a good leader. But again, the conversation is going to be had, and I'm going to tie this line together with this. There's already teams that have come out. There's already scouts. There's already people have said, you've read it on Twitter the last month, that people do have Drake May ahead of Caleb Williams on their NFL draft boards. This is teams. Teams have this thought. Drake may ahead of Caleb Williams. And when you pull back the curtain, you go, well, I mean, I guess Caleb Williams, six foot, six foot one in that area, 215 pounds. You look at Drake may six foot five, 220. 
You look at what's worked in the NFL as far as having a pro-style quarterback, a guy that's 6'5", 220, that can sit in the pocket and he can deliver every football all over the field versus a guy that some teams just don't want to build their offense towards a killer Bulibs, a guy that plays off script a lot and is able to because you can also get erratic. And you saw that game against Notre Dame where he got erratic and lost. Now you can also tie it up and be like, well, guess what? Caleb Williams, just, he hasn't performed well in these cold weather games, right? They go to Notre Dame. They lose. Last year, who'd they lose to? They lost to Utah at Utah. Then they played Utah again in the Pac-12 championship, and then they lost to Tulane. Drake May might not lose another game rest of season in conference. And in the ACC championship against Florida State, you could be looking at a number three or number four overall Florida State playing against a number six or seven overall North Carolina because I don't think North Carolina is going to lose. And when you have those two teams right there, that's two top ten teams playing against each other. North Carolina's defense has come farther than they did last year, which is where Southern California is struggling right now. USC could lose multiple games down the stretch. Last year, very, very, very close game with California. Their next five games, Utah, who they lost to twice last year, at California, Washington, who many people think is the best team in football right now after a big win against Oregon, and then they go to Oregon November 11th. That's their next four, and then they finish with a rival game against UCLA. Matty Kiwan brought this one up to me and said, what if he doesn't even play in that UCLA game? What if USC loses to Utah and Washington or Utah and Oregon, whatever it is, they lose two or three of these games, and they're sitting there looking at a 7-3? and three. Then what? Then what happens? Then what happens when Caleb Williams and the, and the, and the USC Trojans are 7-3, and three, or seven and four, and Drake May's twelve and zero beats Florida State, goes to the college football playoff. I'm not going to say it. All I'm going to say is you've already heard the whispers of of Drake May being ahead of Caleb Williams on draft boards. I'm not saying that's how it's going to unfold, but all I'm going to say is the thought of the week and the takeaway is be ready for that conversation to come because it's coming fast. I'm not saying it's going to go down that way where Drake is going to end up being the number one pick. But what I'm saying is the conversation is coming fast because there's a high likelihood that North Carolina does not lose the rest of season, goes to that game against Florida State, and it's number four against number seven or number three against number seven or whatever. And USC is more than likely sitting at seven and three. Best case scenario, eight and two. And Caleb Williams may not play in that UCLA game and may not play in the bowl game in the Pop-Tarts Bowl against Tulane again. That's a long conversation. That, that conversation could go on for hours, and but we have six more months to unfold that. So, again, I'm not saying Caleb Williams sucks. I'm not saying Drake May is the god. I'm not saying Drake sucks. I'm not saying Caleb is a god. I'm just saying these are two very good prospects with a lot of conversation yet to be had, a lot of winning and a lot of losing to still be had course over the next couple of months the number one thought of the week though goes to mr jackson smith and jigba from the seattle seahawks a guy that was consistently dropped 
over the last couple of weeks, which makes no sense to me, right? When you're talking about fantasy football and Jackson Smith and Jigba, a guy that had 1,600 receiving yards in an Ohio State offense with just studs everywhere. I wish I could go to rosterwatch.com right now and find uh, one of the comments because I believe it was one of the comments on one of the posts where somebody asked about a specific player and cutting Jackson Smith and Jigba. And it would probably take me a bunch of dead air time to find this Jackson Smith and Jigba question. But basically what I said was, please do not cut Jackson Smith and Jigba. Please go pick him up. Jackson Smith and Jigba comes out of the bye, and these are the routes. Going into the bye, well, I'll give you the going into the bye first. Smith and Jigba had 75% of routes in week four. DK Metcalf, 89%. Lockett, 86%. Coming out of the bye, Lockett, 81%, down five. Metcalf, 81%, down eight. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 81%, up six. Jackson Smith and Jigba, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, all run the same amount of routes in week six. Oh, but Cody, he didn't do anything, you know, for the first month. Neither did Amon Ross St. Brown. But when I look here at the, at the box score, and if I'm box score scouting, I'm going to go like this. Lockett, eight targets. Metcalf, 10. Smith and Jigba, five. Wow, how did Smith and Jigba catch four out of five targets? Metcalf caught four out of 10. Lockett caught a six out of eight. Smith and Jigba had 48 yards. Metcalf, 69. Lockett, 94. Looks like all three of these guys can get output. Parkinson got four targets. Kenneth Walker had three targets. Bobo had two. Charbonnet had two. Fant had one. Disley had one. There's plenty of targets to go around for these guys. They're going to utilize Jackson Smith and Jigba more and more as the season gets long. Especially when people are inefficient in their offense like DK Metcalf currently is. Especially when guys are incompetent like Colby Parkinson, Jake Bobo, and Noah Fant, who's been hit or miss. The biggest takeaway was, I hope you didn't drop JSN because JSN's a stud. It's a guy that we've talked about for two years now. I found the chat question. It said, uh, yo, I need one. McLaurin, Mingo, Josh Reynolds. I have Higgins, but not planning on playing him so much. If he does, I could pick up Jackson Smith and Jigba. People are dropping Smith and Jigba. They were dropping. They're not anymore. I'll tell you that right now. But that's another colossal mistake. We talked about it in Recovered Ops two weeks ago. One of the big rules about season leagues is to never drop running backs. I made the mistake. I was, you know, talking to my cousin and I said, yeah, yeah, man, you can, you can, you can drop Zach Evans. Not fucked up on that. But the outside of that, this year, the only wide receiver in free agency that you didn't want to drop, like you can drop Mingo, you can drop all these donkeys, but Smith and Jigba was the one guy you can't drop. We tied the line to Amon Ross St. Brown. You know what Jackson Smith and Jigba brings to the table. You know Seattle is going to be competent down the stretch. 
Do not drop Jackson Smith and Jigba. People did it. And now people are paying because Jackson Smith and Jigba ran the same amount of routes as Metcalf and Lockett. And he was more efficient than both Lockett and Metcalf. Number one, Jackson Smith and Jigba has still not moved in my dynasty rankings, which I've updated every single week this year. Every single Thursday and Friday, these rankings are updated in the top 300. And this guy's just chilling at wide receiver seven in dynasty. Hasn't moved. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Still there, not going anywhere. I appreciate you guys so much for tuning in, tapping in. Please click that like button. Click subscribe here on YouTube. If you want some more, the rest of the week for myself or Matty Kiwum, check out patreon.com forward slash executives. I'll be live tomorrow night on the executives of fantasy football, doing the hurdle, getting you ready for Thursday night football, getting you ready for week seven. Tune in, tap in. Also, Adam, Adam, geez, Adam Thielen. I just read Adam Thielen's name. Alex and the Trashman will be live tomorrow, 2.30 Eastern time, doing the waiver wire. Appreciate you guys. We do got a couple of questions in the chat, so you damn well know I'm going to get them answered. Gavin says, should I trade for Thielen? Sure. Depends what you have to give up. My team is Herbert. Kyron, Pollard, Cup, Chase, Ingram, and Ayuk. Bench is Ridley, Flowers, Aaron Jones, Ford, Jamison Williams, Stroud, Pitts. Congratulations on the roster. Congratulations on the roster, Gavin. I don't know if I would make a move for Thielen because I don't know if I don't want to give up Cup. I don't want to give up Chase. You're not giving up Ingram or Pitts. Ayuk is currently slated to sit in his role. If you can give up Ridley and I see, see what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't want to. You need a running back with Kyron, Kyron getting hurt. You need to keep those running backs. If you can give up Ridley and Flowers and you want to get Thielen, maybe. But I, I don't really want to do that. I, I love Flowers. I think Ridley's fine. Like, I don't think you need to. I appreciate the question, though. Trade Camara or ETN for Lamb. Depends on what your roster looks like. Looks to me like you're a Saints fan based on your picture. Um, I would I would trade Camara for Lamb if I'm in need of wide receiver help and I have a ton of depth at running back, but I would also be inclined to just keep both Camara and ETN. High ankle sprain for Tannehill. Yes, sir. Unfortunate, but it looks like we're gonna get some Malik. Thielen's a dog. You got that right. Is selling fields for Ayuk in a 10 team superflex start eleven a bad idea? I don't think it's a great idea just because you're getting rid of his quarterback in Superflex that has rushing upside and Tyson Bajan's not ready. I love Tyson Bajan. Massive fan of Tyson Bajan, but he always needed a year. He always needed the year. Like this, this, this he did the last thing he needed was to get vaulted in in week six. So Fields' hand is in bad shape. Uh, Dr. David Chow, I'm not a doctor, but my wife is. Dr. David Chow showed a picture on the inside of his hand right here where it was cut up. He said he doesn't know what the ligaments are going to look like, but they're going to do an MRI and figure that out. I'm worried about Fields. 
my, my I don't it, yeah it's kind of one of those things it's going to go day by day it depends on what's going to happen tomorrow they could come out and say it's torn he's done for the year tomorrow they could come out and say it's nothing and he's going to be back next week so you just kind of go with your go with your gut on that one France if your team is in rough shape and you do have second quarterback already I would maybe do it snowman what's going on appreciate you jumping in the chat smack that like button just like snowman says what do you think of Pollard's stat line is tonight? I don't know, man. I, I don't – Pollard is – I talked about this last week, Pollard and Lamb being upsetting for me this year. I mean, they're upsetting for everybody, right? So there's that. But your output just hasn't been there on a weekly basis for Paul, Pollard. I don't know. I'll, I'll go – it's a tough D-line. Give me 19 carries. Give me 82 rushing yards. I'll take I'll take five targets, four receptions, and 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 23. So just was that just that puts him just right at 100, right around 100, just south of 100. I don't know. I, I just haven't been. Does he does he get into the end zone? That's the big question. I'm gonna go yes. So we're looking at a. Was that 16? About a 20 point, 20 point fantasy output game tonight. Let's go with it. All right, everybody. I appreciate you guys. Click the like button, click subscribe. We'll be back. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys. See ya.